Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. It's on your pew Bible pages in 893 to 894. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to a needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received a reward in full. But when you give to a needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray in standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you do pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For you think they have heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as, as it is on heaven, give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look sober as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others their, their fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. But only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Good morning. You know, the only reason that people probably stand in front of you and say good morning is they just want to be sure you're really awake. But, you know, this is kind of the early side of this thing, so I probably should say good morning about four times during the sermon um, because uh, it tends to go in that direction, unfortunately. Um, very happy to be with you today. Very happy to consider what the Scripture has to say to us. You know, sometimes when we look at Scripture, um, the teaching is uh, a little long, is a little direct, and a little painful. Some of what we're looking at today is that way. Uh, it's a little long and a little painful uh, because the challenge is very clear. It really doesn't require a great deal of my extra adding of terms. And uh, it's just a question of whether we apply what we know to our lives. The title of the sermon today, if you happen to notice, which probably it doesn't matter to you as much as it does to me, uh, is the importance of being earnest. Um, a little over a hundred years ago, uh, there was a play that came out, uh, very well known by Oscar Wilde, 
um, called The Importance of Being Earnest. Now, the word earnest, E-A-R-N-E-S-T, and E-R-N-E-S-T sound very similar. One being a name and one being a reality in someone's moral and, and uh, personal lives. The importance of being earnest. Um, this play meant a great deal to me. I had an opportunity to go to London a number of years ago and was in London for about two weeks. And during that two weeks, I saw 13 plays. Um, but you do have to understand, one of my majors in college was theater. So I had quite a prejudice in that direction. So basically, anytime I could get in, especially in the afternoon when the price was lower, I was always there. The, um, one of the plays I did see was The Importance of Being Earnest. Uh, and I saw it as much as anything because in college I had played the part of uh, Jack Worthing. And so um, I um, really appreciated the play. But the point is, within the play, it goes through a lot. Of, it's basically about a man that has uh, created a brother in his own mind. And this brother lives off in the city and kind of a scoundrel is out and does all the things that this guy who lives in the countryside kind of thinks it would be fun to do. And the story gets very complicated. And it goes back and forth. And it's, it's a fun story. But the title, The Importance of Being Earnest, is very much showing that one man somehow struggles with who he is. There's a, a part of him that wants to be a little wilder, a little braver, a little more... Uh, courageous in the life that he lives. And then there's the other one that says, well, I have to live inside this box for people to accept me. You know, uh, I remember being, doing the, um, the particular play and thinking to myself, wow, this guy, fascinating. Because again, I had a double major. And my other major was religion. Most of the people in the religion department thought I was crazy for being able to major in theater. The people in the theater department thought I was crazy for being able to major in religion. And so I was crazy both directions. And some of you would confirm that to this day. But <clears throat> the thing within this particular play was, Ernest very much showed kind of the life of a hypocrite. And the story goes in a lot of details for why that's true. But the challenge that I think we have for ourselves today is, that we are not hypocrites. You don't want to be one. I don't want you to be one. I don't want to be one. You don't want me to be one. So we have to be honest with who we are. We have to look at that spiritual mirror one more time and ask who I am. The Scripture in Matthew 6 challenges us. It's not fun to read because it's going to challenge us to be more than we would like to be sometimes. Matthew 6 basically says that giving of our resources, be that through tithing or offering, and if you'll notice in our bulletin, it doesn't just say offering, it says tithing and offering. Because there's a little difference. The tithing is the 10% that belongs to God straight up. The Scripture teaches tithing, says that, that is what we're, that, that's been expected of God all along. I learned it when I was about six years old. My father would give me an allowance, and I knew from immediate reception, 10% of that I don't get to keep. Because I have to give that back to the church. Because that's a proper thing to do in tithing. But offering begins after the tithe. Giving of alms, giving to support the poor, perfectly good things. 
Giving is good, but the question that we see in the Scripture throughout the whole thing has to do with being a hypocrite or not. In other words, what is our motive? This is the thing that kind of gets to most of us at times, is we struggle because we see what people do and we then can make certain conclusions based on how they dress, how they talk, how they act. Do they do it the way I would want it to be done? I can remember when I was a young child sitting where some of you are sitting. Probably some of you in the back, most likely. I didn't sit down. I wasn't as bold as you guys. But I can remember and I would sit and and sometimes I'd watch the pastor and I'd think, wow, look at him, you know. He showed up too late. Or maybe, maybe he's got on white socks. I don't know. Whatever the issue is. You know, somehow it didn't match my box for what he was to be like. It's amazing how easy it is to judge other people and not know what they are doing and know how they think. To be a hypocrite is not our goal, but we do have to look at our hearts. You don't need to look at the guy's heart of the person next to you. Look at your own heart. You don't need to look at mine. I have enough struggle looking at my own heart. Many years ago, 1975, moved to Hong Kong. When I got to Hong Kong, my story, this one, some of you have heard before, but I'm going to repeat it because it really strikes where I am. I got there and I was trying to get into the culture. I wanted to learn. I realized that moving to a new culture was more than just learning language. You know, we can have people who've got white skin, who can speak Cantonese, and come into our church and everybody says, ooh, isn't that amazing? I can actually understand what that guy is saying. That guaylo can, clear enough, I can actually comprehend what he's trying to communicate. But if culturally I have no idea what they're talking about, it really doesn't make a whole lot of difference. So I knew that culture was going to be a big issue. So I got to Hong Kong and I was out, and I didn't know anybody. I had very few friends trying to learn. First week I was there, and I remember one day I was walking on the street, and I said, you know, okay, I'll go try that. And I did exactly what a lot of people would think is very strange. I was always walking down the street eating street food. Uh, the very thing that if my wife is here, I'm in trouble again. She always tells me not to eat street food, but I eat it all. You know, if it doesn't run away, including squid, which it does try to run away, I eat it immediately. Um, I like to try new things. I like to challenge myself. And I can remember, I saw this cinema and I said, I need to see a Chinese movie. I don't understand Chinese, but I'm going to give it a try. So I went into this cinema to watch this movie and sat down and was all ready to watch the movie. And the movie came up. Of course, I couldn't read the name of it, didn't know anything that I'd walked into. And I sat there about, I don't know, seven minutes, five minutes, however long it was, before I realized clearly that it was a blue movie. Now, of course, we call it Wong Sekdinying in, in Cantonese, but it was blue for, the, for what I understood. And I walked out sort of shaken. You know, I've never been one who is afraid of going to the wrong place because I've always felt like if Jesus today was walking the streets, he'd be headed to Wanjai in Hong Kong, down to the bar area, would be not even slightly threatened to go there because he would be going with purpose. He wouldn't be going to drink. He wouldn't be going for the. He would be going with purpose to minister to those people. But I went into that movie just thinking, well, I'm going to learn. So this is my purpose is to learn, and boy, did I learn! 
I learned it was the wrong place for me. Well, about um, six years later, in 1981, I moved to Taiwan. And when I got to Taiwan, um, I remember uh, just trying to adjust, and I saw a a thing that they they have what they call the Golden Horse Award. It's a big uh, film award. And then I saw this particular individual's name as being the recipient of the Golden Horse Award. And I looked and I thought, how can that be? Everybody told me Taiwan, and now this is 1981 when martial law still existed in Taiwan, so there were no bad movies over there. Uh, they had, uh, or uh, pardon me, there were no blue movies over there. They had other movies of all kinds, had war movies and this kind, of, but they didn't have those kind of movies. And yet, this guy had just went, and I knew in Hong Kong, he had, uh, most of his movies were those kind of movies. I knew where his money came from. I was very confused with that. This particular man recently, at the age of 106, passed on. He died very, very wealthy, extremely wealthy. He has his names on buildings all over China, all over Hong Kong, all over Taiwan on Hong Kong Baptist University buildings in Hong Kong as being a great donor and philanthropist. The question I have is, where did his money come from? The the reason I ask the question, what would we do if someone knocked on our door today and they said they had $5 million they would like to give to help us build a new building, relocate us, but it was from a source that we had question about. Do we have the moral fortitude to say, thank you, but no thank you? The Scripture in Matthew 6 challenges us. You know, there's uh, references to the tithe in, in the Old Testament, and, and then, of course, what it became in the New Testament. Uh, certainly, the tithe is a tenth of the income that we receive. The Bible records numerous accounts of men tithing. God is the creator of everything that exists. He owns everything, and we are only His stewards. There are different people who have different views about the tithe. But I think the question is, where did our resources come from and how do we use our resources? If we have money and we want to give offerings, we need to first consider, have I given my tithe? I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me. My wife and I have been married for 31 years this year. She probably feels like it's 51 years because it's tiring to be with me, I know sometimes. But the 31 years, we've never questioned tithing. That's an assumption within our family. So anytime we receive money, we just add it up, put the 10%, and know that's gone. doesn't exist. That's God's money. The Scripture says, give your alms. It's good. But be sure you give for the right reason. And in the right way. 
in chapter 6, it says, Take heed that you do not your alms before men. Our goal is not to have everybody else seeing. So when you pull your money out and you show everybody how much you're putting in, it's not the goal. I remember I used to know a man that would give about $100 U.S. every week in the offering plate. And you could watch him do it. Of course, the reality was that had nothing to even resemble what his tithe should have been. But many people thought, oh, look at that. Isn't that something? Scripture says don't do it for that kind of reason. Don't do it before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when you do your alms, when you give your tithe, when you give your offering, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do, as they stand in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may glory of men. Very, I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you do your alms, when you do your giving, let not your left hand even know what your right hand is doing, that thine alms may be in secret, and the Father which is, that sees in secret himself shall reward you openly. Motivation is important. How we handle our lives is important. Sure, a little boring to think about this, a little stressful to think about this, but Jesus on that day thought it was important enough to preach it. He thought it was important enough to instruct those who said they were going to be His followers. He knew they needed to understand that. Brothers and sisters, sometimes reading the Bible, going to a Bible study is not exciting. Sometimes you'd much rather go bowling. But sometimes what we need is the interaction with the Word of God. A friend of mine once said, it's better to rob the First National Bank than to rob the Bank of Heaven. Malachi 3.8 says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, where have we robbed you? And the answer was, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even the whole nation. This is not something God doesn't understand. He knows how we are. He knows that we have plenty. He knows our church has no financial need. He wants to bless us because of our faithfulness. He wants to bless us because of our dependency on Him. He doesn't want to bless a bunch of hypocrites. He wants us to be earnest. Not easy. Matthew 6, going on to the next session. The next section deals with prayer. Prayer is a challenge that Christ also thought was worth mentioning. Now, you know, prayer again. Oh, my goodness, it's so slow. and You have to sit. You have to be quiet. You know, a couple of questions. Is preaching ever done with the goal of popularity or praise? I would say certainly it's not for me. I've changed my preaching style many times over the years. The sermon that I'm speaking, even at this moment, is not the style that I normally would think of. Is one I would like to preach. Because I like to preach in stories and in a natural way. 
But for us to really look at what it is to be a disciple of Jesus, we've got to know what Jesus taught. And to ignore the Sermon on the Mount would be a sin. The Sermon on the Mount is clarifying. Jesus certainly was not afraid to preach this because all I'm doing is going through the Scripture of what He said. Somehow He thought it was very important to preach clearly. And He was not after popularity at that point. He dared to speak the words that tore at the hearts of the establishment. Jesus always seeks our motive, who we are on the inside. Chapter six, uh, chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. The preparation for prayer. Quickly, we'll go through this. Public prayer. Is that our motive? Vain repetitions. Is that our motive? Scripture says no. Well, Scripture is very clear. It doesn't say praying publicly is wrong. I praise God for the prayer we just heard from Brother Henry. But it just says, Be careful. Be careful what your heart is. Where is your heart? What is your heart really like? Are you talking to me or are you trying to impress men? What is your motive? Apparently, Jesus had had heard many prayers in His days that most likely were very much ones that led Him to feel that the prayer styles were not up up to par. He presented some very tough words as he did this instruction. The sermon cuts to the quick with truth. Wouldn't most of us prefer a sermon that is pretty lightweight and allows us to walk off feeling good about ourselves? When prayer comes, we love to feel good. But prayer really is not about how we feel. So the question is, what do we focus on when we pray? Some prayers are written. I remember, I didn't know this until uh, I was actually in my 30s. was with a good friend of mine that had been going to a more liturgical church. A very, very boxy church. In his case, he was in a Lutheran church. But all of his prayers, before he preached on Sunday, he had written out. And he had such eloquent language in what he had to say. There's nothing wrong with writing a prayer. His prayers were well thought over. As we think about the kind of prayers that we pray, what do we pray and why do we pray it? To speak trivial or even eloquent words sometimes, either extreme would have a potential of never leaving the distance of our own ears should we have a wrongful approach to what we pray. See, sometimes we, we may sound as if we have really prepared well, and yet in our hearts there is a gap. We must remember that the, the only ear we're concerned about when we pray is God's, not man's. See, we focus so often on speaking in front of people, hoping they will like what we say. It's what I was talking about with preaching, praying, anything done publicly. If it's about you, there's probably a mistake already involved. God is the focus of why we come together to worship on Sundays. It's not about you. It's not about me. 
Even this great worship band we have, it's not about them. They're trying to help us focus on Him. When we pray, God is warning us in every way about this. In verse 9 it says, After this manner pray ye for our Father which is art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We've all heard that scripture. We've heard it. We've heard it quickly. But I want to give you an alternative prayer that unfortunately I fear is all too often what we use. Our Father which, thank goodness, is a long way away in heaven and probably doesn't care what I did last night. Your kingdom may come out sometime in the future, somewhere, but I am not sure about heaven anyway. Give me today whatever I want and let me not have to repay any debts. And lead me into wealth and prosperity while keeping me away from uncomfortable challenges. And I know you might really exist and have power, and I don't want to live forever anyway. Amen. We change the content of what God tells us to do. The point here is simple. The words of Christ's teaching on prayer are not hidden or hard to understand. They're clear. The question is, how are we going to respond to them? And that's our challenge. That's why we're here today. Verse 9 is praise for the holy name of God. You know, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, just to use the name of God was a privilege. And it was even dangerous. Most people wouldn't even speak it because they were afraid they might not give adequate respect to God. Today, my word, every cursing individual you've ever seen uses God's name as if it was nothing. How do you use God's name? Hallowed be thy name. Do you treat it with that level of respect? Praise that that relationship could even exist. Verse 10, His kingdom, His will be done. You know, when we pray, we'll sit and describe what we want. We'll spend forever today in our prayers describing what we think we, and we'll use the word need, and in fact we know it's probably want. And yet the Scripture in the model we saw from Jesus was, doesn't matter what I think, doesn't matter what I want, I want your will, God, in my life. He models focusing on Him. Verse 11, my daily basics. Give me what I've got to have daily. Forgive me. Verse 13, protection. Protect me as needed. Verse 14, went right back to praise. You want to know how to pray? You don't have to pray long. You don't have to pray eloquently. You don't have to impress anybody, but you do have to talk to God. Me too. The assumption is that prayer is more than just principle. It is action in our lives. Verse 16 to 18, 
the third section. One, we had dealing with almsgiving, using our tithes and our offering. The second section was talking about prayer. If you don't know how to pray, read this Scripture. It'll tell you. It'll humble you. But the third section, it talks about is fasting. I remember the first time in Hong Kong, I was at the Hong Kong Baptist Convention, and I got into this discussion with a bunch of ministers about us possibly having some fasting times for our churches and for the lost of Hong Kong. We talked about having a revival meeting and having different... And I said, let's not just talk about another program, another bunch of revival meetings. Let's talk about trying to get our churches together in putting their heart before God, praying and fasting. Expecting to watch God's Holy Spirit do amazing things here. And I got an amazing wake-up call that day from this bunch of ministers. Because we were talking about the, the whole concept of fasting. See, fasting does not mean in the Scripture, let's fast a little bit to lose weight. Yes, it would be good for me. I understand. It's not the point. Although it would be the point for me. But we won't go there. The point about fasting in the Scripture is to say it's denying yourself from the normal comforts of daily life. It's a reminding of yourself who it is that provides you with that life. It's a challenge to us to renew our focus on God. I found on that day of that group of ministers, and we had about, I don't know, 12 of us that were talking about this particular thing, that basically none of them had ever done this. Because I said something about fasting, and then one of, one of the ministers, quite well known in Hong Kong, made the comment to me, he said, you mean like uh, probably, in other words, like skip lunch or something all day long? I mean, like go f- just eat breakfast a whole lot and then wait and eat dinner? And I said... Actually, what I was thinking about fasting was just simply not eating on that whole day at all. Oh, no, that's impossible. These are Cantonese, you know what I mean? We would die. Never live till tomorrow. The purpose of fasting is not to show what you're capable of doing. It's to remind us of what God does for us each and every day. It's a reflection opportunity. When we look at alms, we look at prayer, and we look at fasting. Jesus had something to teach that day to His disciples. He has something to teach to us today in the year 2014. The question for us is, do we want to learn? Let's let Jesus be our teacher today. Let's try something new. Let's step out and really sincerely... Ask for His will to be done in our lives. Let's be willing to do whatever it takes that helps to remind us that He is our provider. He is the caregiver for all of us. He does things with purpose. He did things for training on that day. And I would say to you, He wants to train us this day as well. The question is, who are we? Are we those kind of people that want to learn and grow or not? Let's pray. 
Father God, we come to you inadequately praising your name for who you are and what you do each and every day in our lives. We do come asking that we would not treat you in a trivial way. That we would treat you with respect for who you are and who you want to be in our lives. Father, help us to put your values and your goals and your purpose for who we are first in our lives. We give you praise. We seek that. We ask that your will be done. That we be tools of value to your kingdom. Make us more than we can be in and of ourselves. Father, give us boldness to remember that we are here for purpose. In Jesus' name.